Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle, and wow, what a day that was. Because 19 years after Straight Jacket, Keith Loniker, Kill the Hunt, and Casanova laid down the hype track Jim Rome, we debuted it. It was absolute fire. Back in the news. So you know I had to talk to them, and that Rob Gronkowski retirement talk is not stopping anytime soon. Find out my thoughts on that. The most interesting man in the NFL, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, came in and told his amazing story. A's manager Bob Melvin checked in from spring training. And Bleacher Report NBA writer Howard Beck broke down the association during National Licorice Week. Alvy Rowling. Now this show has my name on it, but the show has never been about me. But the truth is, I... I did set a record last year when I let off this show with a take about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then I did two takes in three days on the Jags. Understand, I never thought that I would talk about these guys, much less talk about them repeatedly, much less lead shows with them. And then those two takes in three days became three takes in five days, then four takes in seven days. I mean, it was crazy. I'm not about the records. But the records were shattering every time I sat down at this desk and got behind the mic. I mean, it was a crazy time. An exciting time for everybody. But the past is the past. I'm all about looking forward and not looking back. So here we are now, February 28th. Here we are. It is the offseason. There is no way that I would start yet another show with a take about Jacksonville, right? Wrong. February 28th, and I'm starting yet another show with a take on Jacksonville. You see, the Jags are having themselves a week. Actually, the Jags were having themselves quite a few months. They went from being the laughing stock of the league to being minutes away from playing in a Super Bowl. And then this week, they announced that they were signing Blake Bortles to an extension. I mean, maybe 10 minutes ago, folks, both in and out of Jayville, were trying to run this dude out of the league altogether. Now he's getting a multi-year, multi-million dollar extension. And even more shocking than that, even more shocking than them giving this guy millions and millions of dollars, is that Bortles is getting respect. And he's getting respect from the place where it matters most, his own locker room. Sort of. Kind of. Not really. Check out this tweet from Leonard Fournette. And I quote, Congrats to you, brother. Brother. Now spend some time on your mouth. Your breath be killing the huddle, saying the plays. Damn, that is a strong tweet. And it sounds like Bortles, he's got some pretty strong breath. Congrats on your new deal. Now go buy yourself whatever you want. You earned it. You deserve it. I mean it. Buy yourself whatever you want just as long as you start with a bottle of scope or a toothbrush or Tic Tacs or Banaka Bortles. Tell with it. Buy all those things because you stink, Blake. Slider. You stink. You stink, Blake. You stink. As good as that is, though, that's not even the strongest tweet from a Jag this week. No, that honor goes to Jalen Ramsey because, of course, it would go to Jalen Ramsey. But give me a minute. It does require a little bit of a setup. Tim Brewster is the new tight ends coach at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. Brewster has been very, very active on Twitter, including the following tweet. Double fire emoji. DB alert, followed by two more fire emojis, and then nothing but real. Hashtag facts. Come get some truth. And then he's got a photo of Jimbo Fisher and eight defensive backs playing in the NFL and their average player earnings. Look, if you're going to go double emoji, Double fire emoji, and then chase that with another double fire emoji, and then cap that off with a come get some truth. You ain't playing. It doesn't get any more look at me or look at us than that. In other words, 
If you play for Jimbo at AM, you will be the next guy in that pick and the next guy to start stacking cash. You know, the kind of thing that's going to get some buzz on the recruiting trail and get guys thinking that College Station is the place you go to play if you're a DB. Great, right? Fire. Double fire. One problem. One of the guys in that pick is Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen Ramsey has thoughts. And Jalen Ramsey has a Twitter account. And Jalen Ramsey is not afraid to use it. Quote, he didn't teach me not one DB technique. Hashtag, come get some real truth. Hashtag, go Knowles. Straight freaking fire. Hashtag, come get some real truth. So Brewster goes double-double, fire emoji. Ramsey goes DECA, fire emoji, without even using any emoji. That is the very definition of boom, roasted. I mean, there's a crater left and nothing more where Brewster's tweet once stood. And even worse for Brewster and company, the original tweet got all of 379 retweets, Ramsey's response got 26,000. You want to talk about backfiring. Except Ramsey, he wasn't done. He never is. He followed that up with, quote, No, I have nothing but respect for you, Coach Brew, but don't use me on a poster for a school that I didn't go to and for a coach who didn't teach me how to be a DB. End tweet. That's a finishing move right there. I mean, because the guy's not being rude. He's going respectful, but he respectfully ended Coach Brew right there. The coach tried to salvage some dignity with a tweet that read, nothing but love and respect for you at Jalen Ramsey always. Yeah, great, except the damage was already done. I'm surprised he didn't just delete his account right then and there. He probably should have because there are a couple of rules in life. Do not throw at Jalen Ramsey on the field. Do not come for him on Twitter either. You can't beat him with an out route. You can't beat him with a clever tweet. It's just not happening. And you will just end up looking dumb, really dumb. Hashtag, come get some real truth. Keep Jalen Ramsey's name out your mouth and his handle off your feed. Keep my name out your mouth. I can't believe it. I did it again. Another Jaguar tweet to start the show. It's not gratuitous, and I'm not forcing it in there. It's a good tweet now, or a good take now. Another take, I should say, to start the show. So good that that is a tongue. We are joined by Chiefs right guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. Laurent, it is great to have you on the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm good yourself. I'm great. It's great to visit with you. Thank you so much. Listen, before we talk football and medicine, I know you just returned from the Olympics and you were working as a journalist. Let me start right there. How did that opportunity come about and what was the experience like for you? I mean, it was always on my bucket list to, to go to the Olympics. I think it's just a tremendous event. You know, you get to uh, meet the athlete, meet the, meet the team that's around uh, them and to optimize their performance. So uh, I just uh, pitched a little idea that I had uh, to the broadcaster in Canada, uh, which, uh, which is called CBC, and they, they agreed to do it. And uh, basically, I went out there, and I was uh, shooting one little piece per day, and I had to present it live on television. So it was kind of a, a new challenge for me, and, uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Well, you're all about new challenges. Now, as an elite athlete, what was it like for you to be around other elite athletes and seeing how they work, how they train, and how they perform on the biggest stage in pressure situations? I mean, it, it, it was really, it was awesome. I mean, you get to, to meet the athlete and connect with them uh, pre-competition, post-competition. And, you know, like in the NFL, it's a pretty big challenge because you got to play every week a different opponent. But these guys, I mean, they got to train for four years in order to, like, peak at their, their, the top of their performance, top of their sport at one single moment, moment you know. So it, it was pretty interesting to not only meet the athlete, but meet the team that surround them, whether it's the nutritionist, the physiotherapist, the, 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 the sports psychologist, and just talk with them uh, and, and know a little bit more about how they do it. You know, how can you prepare an athlete to make sure he peaks at that specific moment? What did I say? Maybe the most fascinating man in the NFL, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, joining us. All right, so when you look at your story, you're from a town outside of Montreal. So growing up, you did some cross-country skiing. You played some badminton, some basketball. You played the piano <laughs> and violin. So when did you first start playing football, and what did you think of the game the first time you played? 
I started playing football when I was like uh, I think 15 years old. So I, I started kind of late. Uh, but but I mean for me it was just a perfect sport where you get a lot of like the physical aspect, but a lot of like the you know the thinking aspect. It's a really strategic game, and that's what that's kind of what I like about it. You know, it's uh, it, it's playing it, but it's also like uh, uh, practicing it, watching film, getting to know your opponent, and and know like all the different like situations with the different down and distance and all that stuff. So that's really what cut my attention when I, when I started practicing it as a, a at a younger age. Clones, give me a minute so I can talk to you about my Casper mattress. So what more can I tell you about Casper that I have not already told you? Casper offers two other mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that will not keep you up at night. All designed, developed, and assembled in the United States. I own a Casper mattress, and I always will. I will never forget the first night that I slept on my Casper. And I have had an amazing night of sleep every single night since then. And right now, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Try it out for 100 nights, and if you don't love Casper as much as I love mine, they will come and pick it up for free and give you a full refund. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting Casper.com and using the promo code JUNGLE at checkout. Once again, promo code JUNGLE at Casper.com to save $50 on select mattresses. Casper.com, terms and conditions do apply. That's Casper. Now it's back to our daily jungle. All right, so but you start playing the game a little bit later, and one of the reasons for that was you took an entire year off because you took a boat trip. In fact, your parents took you on a couple of sailboat trips, and I want to be clear about this. They were sailboat trips. They weren't luxury cruises. They were long, (laughs) and they were work. Tell me about that. What do you remember about the trips and the work you and your family did on the boats? I mean, we, uh, it was when I was like uh, 10 years old, and then and again, when I was 16 years old, we left for a whole year. Um, my, my family, my parents, my two sister and I, uh, we, we, we sailed from Montreal, uh, went down the East Coast, and then went uh, down in the Caribbean Island, uh, spent a couple of months down there. Uh, I, was, I was doing like old school uh, on the boat with my parents as a teacher. It was just a tremendous experience. You know, you, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing to go travel to, uh, to another country uh, for a week, you know, but when you're really there with the people that live there and experience their, their culture and be really like open-minded, you learn so much. And I think it was a really, a, a really big experience in my in my life that that really like helped me. Uh, I think be more uh, curious about different culture, different way of living. Kansas City Chiefs guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif joining us. So you start taking football more seriously, but at the same time, you're thinking about a future in medicine. You end up going to McGill, which is an excellent school, and you're playing football, but the football season there is a little bit different. There's only eight games. So how (laughs) often did you practice? And then what were your thoughts about the NFL at that point? I mean, when I was in high school, my whole uh, my, my my main goal was to get into the to medical school. I think for me that was a, a passion from uh, from day one, uh, and uh, and I got admitted to McGill, which is like you said, a pretty good school. But uh, my English was really terrible. Now it's getting a little better, but uh, <laughs> back in the days I was really struggling. So uh, for me, it was a big challenge to to figure out how to combine medical school and football at the same time. Uh, the good thing, like you said, is that uh, Canada scheduled because of the winter and all that stuff. It's a little shorter of a season, so uh, it, it was only eight weeks, uh, which was good for me. It allowed me to like plan my rotation and do like more uh, ends-on, like sport medicine type of stuff during the football season, and then uh, do the more like hardcore rotation in internal medicine on the wards or surgery in the winter. Uh, and I did that for like three three years, and. Uh, and at some point, I just realized that uh, I was uh, I was good at it, you know, at football, and uh, and I was playing defensive end for a little bit, and then when they switched me to O line, I was like, this is where I want to play, and um, and and I decided to go down in the states uh, the year before the draft, uh, train uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, try to like you know get used to the speed of the game in the states, and and go to the slang game and all that stuff, and uh, and I finally got my shot with Kansas City. All right, so what's really interesting about that, you mentioned the Shrine game. How prevalent, or I should say, how important was the Shrine game in you getting a shot in the NFL? How instrumental was that game? I mean, it was, it was everything. You know, like, uh, it's one thing to, to look at film from somebody who went to Alabama playing somebody from uh, Florida State, but uh, when you look at some, like, McGill playing, like, University of Montreal, nobody really knows. Uh, it's hard to, to, to have a benchmark of how good uh, we are. 
uh, back here. So, so I think for me, playing against uh, NCAA talent in the state uh, was huge because it shows scouts I was able to like play with these guys, uh, and, and that's what I think gave me a shot. And the interesting about uh, the Shrine game is that, for those who don't know, the Shriner Hospital, which is a, a chain of hospital, nonprofit hospital across the states, Mexico and Canada, are the one hosting that game. And, and a couple months before the Shrine game, I, I was actually doing a rotation at the Shriners Hospital in Montreal, and it's kind of a physician who told me, hey, you should try it out and, uh, and, and go to the Shrine game. That'd be awesome. And next thing you know, I got a, I got a ticket to go down there and, and, and to play and compete against these guys. And I think it really like, gave me a... Uh, it gives me my chance because it opens some eyes of uh, different scouts from different teams. Chiefs guard, Laurent Duvernay, already my guest. You know, the whole thing is so fascinating to me that you've accomplished all this and you have all these outside interests. But as you might imagine, I think that not everybody in the NFL would understand that. As an example, you spoke to Andy Reid and Andy Heck prior to the draft. In the pre-draft process, it seems to me when you have that many interests, coaches may not understand or even respect that. These guys obviously did. So what kind of conversations did you have with Andy Reid and Andy Heck, and what gave you the sense that they did understand where you were coming from? Well, like you just said, I think it's not everybody who can understand and for sure whether it's Coach Reid or Coach Heck back in Kansas City. Uh, when I met them uh, before the draft during one of my pre-draft visits, uh, I think it's one of the only team an organization that really understood what I was trying to do, you know, and uh, and a lot of other teams, uh, without blaming them, you know, were questioning uh, how want, uh, how hard I really really wanted to play football, and uh, and for Kansas City for Coach Reed, it was just the opposite, you know. He was like, you know what, uh, I really admire that you want to pursue a, a medical career at the same time, and just the fact that you're here today show that you really want to play football because you got a pretty solid plan B on the side. So I think it's just a question of perspective, and Coach Reed really like uh, understood and helped me and respect what I was trying to do, and I owe him a lot, you know, just uh, just for him saying yes to my 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 endeavor, trying to combine both at the same time, and uh, he's been uh, he's been awesome, and uh, like I said, I really owe him a lot. You know, it's not every coach who who would agree uh, to have a, a guard, uh, offensive guard, reporting like. Uh, three weeks later at the beginning of a TA in order to finish his, uh, his medical degree back home. You know, it seems to me medical school seems so overwhelming, the, the research, the study that would go into it. How does, for instance, going to medical school and studying and preparing compare to studying and preparing in the NFL? I mean, is the NFL on par in terms of that kind of commitment and that kind of learning? I, I think it does, to be honest. It's, it's really different in terms of, uh, of mindset, but but in terms of, like, the amount of time you guys spend at it, it's uh, to me it's pretty similar, and... Uh, and we all know, like, uh, offensive yeah, pretty cerebral position where you got to think a lot about different, like, algorithms in terms of protection and all that stuff and knowing the, the playbook. And I think it required some uh, some skills in studying. And uh, But the difference for me, at least, is that medical school, you got to learn, like, a lot of things. But you get time to think about it, you know, and, 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 and really, like, dig deep into your knowledge and what you remember from different classes and stuff. But when you're on the football field, you got to – the, the amount of knowledge is, is a lot smaller, but you got to make those split-second decisions, and, and that's where you need training and practice and rehearsal and visualization is to, to be able to make those decisions in a split second. So the amount of knowledge is a little smaller, but you got to know it uh, a, a lot quicker, I would say. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif joining me for a few more moments. You know, you've literally accomplished everything you set out to do. Now you've got one final semester. You have one final exam in May. What is involved in that exam, and what are the stakes for you? As an example, if you didn't pass that exam for whatever reason, what would happen then? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't be a doctor, unfortunately, and I would have to like take the exam next year at the same date. So for me, I got two months in front of me to really, uh, really dig deep in my study. I'm in the library right now. I'm just outside of the library at McGill University studying, and that's what I'm going to do for the next uh, two months. Uh, apart from training, obviously, for the next season coming up pretty soon. But uh, my main focus is on studying. Uh, i got to pass the exam because I've stressed my curriculum already uh, three extra years because of the football uh, season. Uh, so there's, it's, I'm really at the maximum of what I'm allowed to do. Uh, so I need to graduate this year. And, I, I mean, I'm pretty confident it's going to be a big sacrifice for me. The hardest thing is always to transition. You know, you, you're done with football. I mean, everybody is just going on vacation, and 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 I had a chance to go to Korea, which is which was awesome. But now I got to come back and and really focus, wake up early, and and study hard in order to pass that exam. 
It's amazing. So last thought. I mean, you've positioned to be allowed to add MD to the end of your name on your jersey. How much pride do you take in those two letters, and what would it mean to have that on the back of your jersey? Well, to me, honestly, it would mean everything. You know, for the, for the past the, the last four years, I've been working really hard in order to combine my my passion for football and my passion for medical school at the same time. And and, and I think it's not only for me. You know, it's I'm able to to do that to to put MD in the back of my jersey, even if that's if it's only for a preseason game. I think it would just like I want to inspire people with that. I wanna I wanna show kids that it's able to that they're able if they want to to combine. Uh, a, 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 a college degree education at the same time that they're playing their sport and they don't have to choose, you know. So uh, I, I do it because I want to try to inspire as many people as possible while I'm doing that. And and whether it's with that or my foundation, I'm hoping to to accomplish that goal. Hey, listen, it's a great message for the kids and even for an old guy like me. I mean, I'm impressed. I'm, I feel like a slacker. I really would love to see MD on the back of your uniform. I think that'd be a great cause. You mentioned your foundation. What do you do with the foundation? And if people want some information, how can they get involved? Yeah, I mean, the foundation, unfortunately, is back home in Montreal. But, you know, maybe one day we'll reach the, the States as well. It's, uh, it's a foundation that, uh, that aim at like promoting a balance between physical activity, wellness, but also uh, educational background, and just like unable kids to, to do both, you know. And and, uh, and and I think so far we so so far we have like a, a school bus that is basically all uh, rebuilt with uh, full of uh, sport equipment, and we're traveling from school to school to organize days of activities in school that are in need. And so far we've been having like a, a effect on kids, and we're working with the government to like try to implement new. Uh, new, new policy, new project to, to really try to uh, give access to, to sport, to different activities inside the school environment. All right, so it's not every day that you get to the office and something from 19 years ago that you have never seen nor heard makes its way back to you, but this is exactly what happened to me today. And what finally worked its way back to me is a hip track from 1999 that I never even knew existed until right now. The track is called, wait for it, the track is called Jim Rome, which I got to say is probably the greatest track ever named. Look, I don't even need to drop the needle to know that this was going to be fire, and it is. And I will play it for you in a few moments in its entirety, but first, the amazing backstory with this track. The reason why I'm only now hearing something that was laid down nearly 20 years ago, I mean, think about that for a minute. Let's just stop on that. These dudes have been sitting on this track for nearly two decades. A track fresh enough that if I were to tell you they laid it down this week, you would not know any different except for a few of the references. It sounds that good. It's that fresh. It's that fire. Now, here's the backstory. A fan of the show named Keith Loneker. He was out of Kansas City, and he was a longtime hip-hop producer, and apparently he loved the show. So in 1999, he goes to a couple of MCs he knows, and he says, hey, can you guys write some verses? Write some verses for me for this beat that I made. The MCs are Straightjacket, Killa the Hun, and Casanova. The interesting part is, while Keith was a huge fan of the jungle, the other guys didn't know the show, hadn't heard the show. So then they go to work, and they listen to the program, and then they watch me on TV. And then Keith even hands them uh, one of the old school glossaries for reference. And then they tracked it. I know all of this because we reached out to Straightjacket, and he gave us the backstory he gave us the history. He gave us all the context. Now, really sadly, sadly, it's been so long since they made this track that Keith, the producer, the guy who had the vision for the whole thing, is no longer with us. Last year, he lost a battle with cancer. And Straight Jacket says that he was only in his late 40s when he passed. So before we go any further, I want to give a sincere and heartfelt rest in peace to my man Keith. We never met, but obviously there's a connection here. A connection strong enough that you produced a track about this show. We also understand from Straight Jacket that Keith would have loved for us to air this track, which I am going to do in a few moments. 
But it's also worth pointing out that the song Jim Rome was never released until late last year when Straightjacket celebrated his 30th year as an MC and he put out a bunch of material which he had never released before. That's how this came to be. This guy had been sitting on all this material and then when he made it 30 years in the game, he said, I've got to push this stuff out. So he released a bunch of his previously unreleased material, including the track that you are about to hear. So here it is. 19 years after they got, these guys laid this down. Huge shout out to my dudes, Straight Jacket, Killer the Hun, Casanova, and Keith the Producer for this amazing tribute that they laid down back in 1999. So now we're all about to hear this together for the first time 19 years later. I score more, I'm in a scoreboard, and rip floorboards, and break backboards, gangsta hooper on a world tour, bury bones, known to smack up a clone off the dome, I get the last word like Jim Rome, I mean like Christine, I want my cornerback, her a gangster, all you crumbs catch a head slap, turn the channel back, why, I was watching that, big boy, cold figure who be talking smack, the most hooks without no books, leave your squad shook, deal with it, breaking you off, when the shots took, no bricks, I be coming through in the clutch, it sounds like when I'm crossing you up, Jim Bone gonna bring it to your dome like Roy Jones. Bulldog and correspondence with the hotness. Don't even try it, son. I leave them tired. Some the lifeless one, like MJ and I. Out of the jungle comes a pimp in the box, putting down smack that'll make you rock. So whether you're rolling in your car at work or at home, turn on your dad. Who you hear? Jim Bone. Out of the jungle comes a pimp in the box. Putting down the smack that I make you rock. So whether you're rolling in your car and work or at home, turn on your dad who you hear. I'm ready and worthy to get my jersey dirty in controversy. You heard me as first and 30. It's early, so watch the birdie. Go topsy-turvy with scavengers. Listen and watch the American smack-off hosted by the pimp in the box. Get a grip on your grill. He earned the bragging rights. Nobody's safe from Jim Rome when he grabbed the mic. Televised through satellites. You like, what's the cause for excitement? He's larger than life. It's leaving the mark of a titan. Dave the Banner can't switch skin tones like Jim Rome. And ping clones till they send home. Complaining to ingrowns. Jungle syndrome. Bin bones right to the core. You ain't Built for this type of tug of war in the jungle floor. So deal with it. Come correct if you feel brave. Enough to clash in the steel cage of airwaves. Just like barricades. Aggression is testing your thinking cap. I'm stressing to bring it back to the king of smack. I'm out. Out of the jungle comes a pimp in the box. Putting down smack that'll make you rock. So whether you're rolling in your car at work or at home, turn on your dad who you hear. Jim Out of the jungle comes a pimp in the box. Putting down the smack that I make you rock. So whether you're rolling in your car and work around home, turn on your dad who you hear. Jim Have a take, but don't suck. Firestarter, probably gon' post a partner with vocal tones on mobile clones and drones on local phones in mobile homes. Turn to channel 34 when you in the top. You can catch Jim Rome Sportsnet on Fox. So start backing away, let's get it cracking and play. Trying to flip the bandwagon, I'm after smack of the day. I'm in grudge mode, manslaughter, watching you fall. Me and my dog, we about to go Orenthal. You need a drug test, this slugfest can get intense and clear the bench in the pits. Y'all remember the incident? Don't hate or you'll wind up a mistake by the lake. The special Tragic when my foes meet they fame. In this profession, I'm possessing sure shots and holding the rank. One tour stopping, career suddenly going to tank. I bang on any legend that's under the sun. Cause you know everybody wants to be player one. Out of the jungle comes a pimp in the box. Putting down smack that'll make you rock. So whether you're rolling in your car at work or at home, turn on your dad who you hear. Jim these dudes are incredible. I, I cannot believe how many amazing references there are in that song. And you have to listen to it over and over and over again. There's no, like, lyric sheet. First thing I said, I've got to see a lyric sheet. So I've heard the song a few times now, but every time I listen to that song, I hear something new. That That is incredible to me. I don't know where you all come out. I don't know how that all hit you. That is absolutely amazing. Fellas, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I can't tell you how much I love that. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Two decades later... As I said to you, if not for all the references to, like, the mistake by the lake and the last word on Fox Sports Net and Channel 34, drug tests, grudge mode, I mean, if not for all the references, if you just listen to the beat and the hook, you'd think that thing dropped last week. 
and not two decades ago. Two decades later, and it still holds up. The references to the clones, the last word, Christine, the quarterback, the correspondence, the great American smack-off. That is incredible. Like, I can't wait to listen to that again to see what I missed the first couple of times I heard it. It's extremely well done. Extremely well done. I wish I had known about that sooner. I wish I had known about that when Keith was still with us. Come to find out that he played some football at KU. So I'm sure, I'm sure my man heard that one from up above. I mean, goosebumps pumps me up. Like Jay Stu's got Mr. Automatic, and now I've got the Jim Rome hype track 19 years later. Better late than never. And I couldn't be more hyped that you guys finally released that and pushed that out. That is so good. You imagine how that thing dropped? If that's fire 19 years out, do you imagine how fire that would have been? If that thing dropped, when it dropped? Let's see some of the reaction. At C. Schaller tweets, awesome to hear Big Keith's name on the radio. Met him when I was a little kid, and he was playing football at KU. Hashtag rock shock. Or as I mentioned, I didn't know that until just now. Man, I wish I'd met him. I wish I'd known him. I wish I could thank him. My man Keith, if you're looking down, thank you, brother. He was the guy who had the vision behind this. This email says, geez, snags. You're building yourself up a bigger catalog than Casey Kasem. This rap, Mr. Automatic, and us. Regards, Manic Bloom. I'll be Royal Tunes. guys good Alva, you are the best let's get to the phones <laughs> we go to vegas yeah, that track that jim rome hype track was amazing i am so happy with that fellas thank you so much can i tell you how much i appreciate you that sounds incredible 19 years later we go to las vegas sean it's good to have you sean how are you hey what's up Tim? what's up that, that track was so tight i'm like <laughs> i want more i want more i'm friends with former snowboarder jeff brushy from Vermont, lives in SD. I just pimped it to him. I'm like, he's like, he was blown away. And he's a big Nas fan, big hip hop guy. He was blown away. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I love that 87 car reference. <laughs> Talk, Freddie Banks, in the house. I'm out. You got it, Sean. Thanks so much. If you want to react to it, go right ahead. I'm looking at Twitter right now, and the reaction is almost unanimous. In fact, I haven't seen anything negative yet. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves the track. A's manager Bob Melvin is my guest. Bob, it's always good to have you on and great to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me on. So good to talk to you, Bob. Now, when you closed out last season, you won 17 of your last 24, and now you open up camp. You've got a young team, but, Bob, a young team of core players that have won in the minors on their way up, and some of these younger guys got a taste last year when they finished as strongly as they did. So what's the vibe and the buzz around the facility feel like right now? Yeah, a great vibe. You, you've done your research. You're exactly right. You know, we've, we've, we've had three tough years. We feel like we're going in the right direction now. You know, we've had some, some younger guys in our system we've been kind of waiting for. We feel like we have more behind them with some of the trades that we made as well. 
But to have some success, you know, end the season well, uh, going into spring training, everybody was pretty fired up. It's been a great vibe in this camp right now. And, and like I said, we feel like we're headed in the right direction. Bob Melvin, my guest. You know, Bob, you mentioned the last three years, and you're so upbeat and you're so positive. Kind of reminds me of Brett Brown. He's the head coach of the 76ers, and he's come on this show a number of times over the years. And they've gone through a number of tough seasons. They've had mounting losses, but there was always a process and a plan in place. And one of the things that we've talked about is the toll that the losing can take and the mental strength required to just keep grinding when you know it's going to be tough. So what have the last three years been like for you from that standpoint, and how have you stayed focused on it? Yeah, really hard. I mean, you know, after three really good years of going to the postseason, you know, we have to do things a little differently and cycle through some guys from time to time here. We hope that's not the case going forward with potentially a new ballpark. But, you know, it, it, it's waiting for a group that you know has a chance to have some success. Some success. Um, you know, no longer are we kind of bringing in the placeholders for a year. That really doesn't lend to a team chemistry. Uh, you know, there's a team game, and it's, it's a group that's going to get us where we need to go that's, you know, guys from our system that, that are prideful being Oakland A's. These are the type of guys that we need here. So um, you, you, when you're having tough times, you look down in the system, you see what you have coming, and, and you know it's a matter of time. And then that's a group that's one on the way up, and I've heard you talk about that. How valuable is that experience, and how does that translate into wins on the major league level? Does it translate? You know what it does? It, it's a group of guys that, that are all thinking the same things and have an expectation to win can be a powerful thing. You know, and I was interested to see how it played out last year when these guys came up, and, and we had our best success in three years. You know, like you said, 17-7, and seven, we had a winning month in, in September, and it was all because of the vibe that we had with this group that, you know, that, that got here. Certainly Matt Olson and Matt Chapman on the corners uh, are a terrific start, both defensively and offensively, but it's also the Chad Penders and guys like that. And, and like I said, we got some more guys coming, so we're, we're, we're encouraged. Okay, so for those who don't remember, Matt Olson hit 24 home runs in 59 games. Matt Chapman hit 14 home runs after the All-Star break, so you know the expectations are going to be even higher this year. So specifically, when you look at what those two guys have done in such a short period of time, what kind of hope does that give you for what they can do in the future? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're never going to be at your best. Now, certainly we don't expect... Uh, you know, Matt Olson to hit, you know, the equivalent of probably 80 home runs like he did in, in a short period of time. Uh, but to have that success lends some confidence going into the season. And, and these guys expect to win. They've done it their whole career. Uh, like I said, when they got here, the expectation when they got here was to win, too. So, uh, good start having those guys. Uh, we feel like they'll get better and better. Certainly when you have a glove like Matt Chapman does, even if you struggle some offensively, uh, you know, you look at the metrics with, with runs saved and so forth uh, with him at third. The leadership qualities from both these guys, too. Uh, pretty exciting. His manager, Bob Melvin, joining us. How about the sixth pick overall in the 2016 draft, A.J. Puck? He comes into camp with a lot of buzz. He needed just 20 pitches to get through two innings on Sunday without allowing a hit. What did you make of what you saw from him in his spring training debut? Yeah, it looked pretty easy. And, you know, this, this is a guy, you know, we're, for the first time, we're probably a little ahead on the position player end than we are the, on the pitching end. It's always been a little different for us. But this is our crown jewel, so to speak. Um, you know, got him from Florida, basically a two-pitch guy. Uh, Gil Patterson, our, our, uh, our uh, minor league uh, pitching coordinator, has done a great job with him. True four-pitch guy. I think what, what really impressed me the most was his presence on the mound. He, he didn't look flustered. He didn't look nervous. Threw the ball over the plate. He's got good stuff. Um, and, you know, this is the guy we're waiting for. Whether he starts with or not, with or not Probably not, um, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this guy got here in a hurry. I mean, Bob, he's six seven. He's left-handed. He's got that long hair. So, you know, as you might imagine, there's going to yeah. be comparisons to Randy Johnson. I mean, it seems like totally unfair and unheard of, but is there something to that comparison? You know what? It is unfair, and I've had Randy before, you know, both as a bench coach and a manager, and you're talking about arguably, arguably the greatest left-handed pitcher of all time. So to try to compare him to that is a little unfair as far as – you know, work on the mound, but it, when you look at him, there are a lot of similarities. Um, you know, he throws hard, he's got the long hair, uh, he's got a good sharp slider, he's a little bit closer to you when he, when he releases the baseball, so those type of uh, comparisons are, 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 are definitely, you know, the, the comparisons there, but 
Um, uh, you know, time will tell whether the, the production's there, but we feel really good about it. We are talking to Bob Melvin. You know, it's so great to have young talent like that, and there's a lot of focus on your young players. But when you've got guys like Chris Davis, Jed Lowry, among others, who've been with you for a little while right now, what's it mean to have vets like that, not only in terms of their production, but their ability to set an example for the young players and help kind of maintain that clubhouse? Right. It speeds up the process for the younger players. And, and, you know, we talked about placeholders, one-year free agents. These guys have been here a while now. Jed's actually been here twice. Uh, Marcus Simeon is short. He's been here a while now. Matt Joyce in the outfield. Chris Davis with the numbers he's put up and loves playing in Oakland. So you want guys that are happy about being here. Those are four really prime guys, as, as well as Kendall Graveman on the, on the starting pitching end. Um, you know, we, we feel really, really good that these guys will be resources for these guys. Everybody gets along well here, and, and like I said, it's been the best five in camp we've had here in some time. Hey, Bob, last thought. Speaking of resources, you have two guys, two of my favorite guys ever since I've done this, in Ricky Henderson and Dave Stewart as special instructors. Two Oakland legends, a couple of guys who grew up in Oakland. They had amazing success with that team. I mean, I, I can't stress how much I love those guys. What's it like to have them around? What do they mean to the younger players? Well, and that's what we're trying to create is, you know, is the Oakland vibe and, and prideful of being here. You look at the history. Our history in Oakland is as good, really, other than the Yankees, as good as any other team. So you want to play off that. And really, my, my, the first meeting I had here, I spoke for a little bit, and I turned it over to Ricky and Stu because uh, they have such presence. And, and both guys grew up in Oakland, like you said. And, you know, it really rubs off to these younger guys. So we want these guys around as much as we can. They're as big a part of Oakland history as anybody. Um, and just great guys to have around. So, uh, you know, Ricky's gone for a little bit here, and Stu will be coming back and forth too. But I've told the people in the front office, as much as we can have these guys, we really feel like uh, there's a lot of value in having them here. Bob, I have to know, like, Ricky, what's his message to the team? What's his hype speech like? You know, it was really good. He jumped out of his chair, and he was really energetic and talked about his days growing up in, in Oakland and actually kind of talked about uh, the battles that he and Stu had and, and was really funny about it. Um, you know, so was, not only was there, you know, a, a message about what it's like to be here in the history of the organization, but how much fun he has doing it and growing up here and how much pride he has in uh, being in Oakland, eh? I mean, Bob Stu is so, so fierce, man, and so determined and such an unbelievable competitor. But have you ever seen a guy as electric as Ricky? Have you ever seen another ball player like Ricky? Well, I mean, the greatest comes up a lot with him. I mean, there really aren't many guys that did what he did in the game. You know, whether it was stealing the bases, whether it was hitting homers, whether it was getting on base, whether it was playing a great outfield. So, uh, you know, there are a handful of guys you talk about as, as the greatest players of all time. Uh, certainly he's in that conversation with, he, with, with what he's accomplished. Lots of buzz and a great vibe. Let's talk some football for a minute. It's February 28th. But take a trip back with me for a moment to the beginning of this month, back to before the Super Bowl. Do you remember what life was like then? Do you remember what it was like for the Patriots then? They were looking for a sixth ring. Bill Belichick was scheming up something exotic so he could shut down, expose, and embarrass Nick Foles. Remember? Tom Brady killing the game at 40. Gronk going to be healthy in time for kickoff. And Malcolm Butler was playing more defensive snaps than anybody else in Pat's gear. That was only a few weeks back. Well, 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 how things have changed for the Patriots, for the worse, much worse, because they didn't end up getting that sixth ring. Nick Foles turned Bill Belichick inside out. Tom Brady did play like a legend at 40, but Malcolm Butler barely played at all, and now Gronk might never play again. No, I mean, seriously, may never play again. Because while the thought of this guy retiring at age 28 may have sounded sort of whack when it came up for the first time, it doesn't seem so now. In fact, it makes sense to me. I see this guy working, and I can see the guy walking. Tom Curran reported earlier this week, and Curran would know, Gronk, quote, didn't enjoy himself in 2017. He did not have a good time, despite the fact that his body was in a better situation than it's been in a long time, and despite the fact that he's one of the most dominant players at any skill position. The atmosphere in New England is starting to wear on him physically and mentally. End quote. Yeah, uh, 
Your second most important player did not enjoy himself. Never mind that he was healthier than he's been in quite some time. Never mind that the team went to the Super Bowl and was favored. He didn't have fun. And the atmosphere is starting to wear on him. That does not sound good. And the reason it doesn't sound good is because it's not good. And this sounds even worse. Quote, he seriously considered stepping away from the game in training camp. He had kind of had it. At that point, his body was not responding. He wanted to train a certain way. The team did not necessarily want him to train the way he wanted to train. They were at loggerheads. He was pissed, end quote. Right, and the thing is, that was before, before he suffered a concussion in the AFC Championship game. And there's this, quote, they still need to have a hell of an air clearing at Patriot Place to get these guys back. End quote. Uh-oh! So what we're saying here is it's possible that it's not only about injuries, but it's about Alex Guerrero again. Because it seems like a lot of these things come back to the relationship between the team and the guy who trains Brady and Gronk. And others. You see, that's the thing. It's not just Tom Brady. If it were just Brady, it would not be a big deal. I mean, you think the team really gives a damn how much Guerrero rubs Tommy up on Tommy's Facebook show? Whether or not that dude's a quack or not? Of course not. Not as long as Tommy is bawling out the way he is at 40. Except it's not just Tom Brady. It's Brady recruiting some of his teammates to he and Guerrero's TB12 cult. It's other Patriots wanting to see what Tom does and why it works so well for him and then maybe following the same regimen themselves because it works so great for Brady. And this is where it becomes an issue for the hood and the team. They don't want to cede control to Guerrero. They want their guys going to their trainers and not Tommy's, which is why the hood ripped so many of Guerrero's privileges this past season. He clearly does not want his guys around that guy. So when you consider all of that, and then the report that ESPN dropped suggesting that the big three, Belichick, Brady, and Bob Kraft were at odds. Now you can't help but wonder if Gronk is going to be the fourth man in that alleged three-way brawl. Again, I understand where Gronk's coming from. If you're Gronk and you've been as busted up and broken down as he's been, and then you find something that works and you want to work that, but the team says you can't do that, hell yeah, I'd be pissed. And I'd be asking myself, is it really worth it? There's almost no injury that Gronk has not suffered, yet they won't let him train the way he wants to train. Hey, if I'm Gronk, I'm thinking, I've saved all my money, and unlike a lot of other dudes in this situation, I do have other options. And suddenly, maybe being in movies, or the WWE, or movies, and WWE, it sounds a hell of a lot more appealing. And man, if this really is the cause of all that, Think about that for a minute. If this really is the cause of all that, if the relationship with Alex Guerrero could be the thing that pisses off Brady and drives off Gronk, how much must Belichick hate Guerrero to risk all of that? And if you're a Pats fan and you're not tripping and you think that Gronk would never give up what he has with the Pats, you should probably wander over to dude's Twitter feed. His most recent tweet involves WWE. The one before that is, quote, there are no limits. And the one before that is, quote, foresee your own future, control your own temptations, and your destiny will not just be reached, it will just be starting, end quote. Hey, look, I know that sounds like some lame yearbook quote or an even worse fortune cookie but it could also be the sound of a guy getting ready to bounce or somebody who wants you to think that he's getting ready to bounce. Listen, I know what you're going to say, Pats fan. What's the matter? As long as we've got Brady and Belichick, we're fine. Hey, look, as long as you have Brady and Belichick, I'm not going to completely bury the Pats ever, but if Gronk leaves, and that's the reason he leaves, I'm reaching for my shovel. 
In other words, all clearly is not well still at Patriot Place. And that loss to Philadelphia in the Super Bowl sure didn't help, especially since their window may have already slammed shut for good. Roger that. Roger that. Dear Rome, sounds like the Pats' chances of suiting up Gronk next year are slim. Probably because they're not a freak like me. Yours, Gronk's party boat chick. I'm trying to get laid. You're trying to get laid? Yeah. So you, why are you on the Gronk cruise? To sleep with Gronk. But you understand that, that that's tough. That's going to be tough. It might be tough because there's like way hotter chicks than me, but I'm hoping I'm a little bit more freaky than them. Wait, what? Gronk's party boat chick. Freaky than them or drunker than them? Or both? Yeah, like I said, Gronk has options. Movies, WWE, that, I guess. <laughs> Let's talk to Howard Beck. He joins us. He is a senior NBA writer at Bleacher Report. He is the host of the Full 48 podcast. He is a internationally renowned Red Vine expert. Howard, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. I'm doing even better because of this. I was walking through Midtown a little while ago, not by the Applebee's this time, by the way, <laughs> walking, right? by, walking by a candy shop, and there was a sign outside I kid you not, it said it's National Licorice Week. So, look, Red Vines for everybody. It's National Licorice Week. Go out, have a Red Vines parade. Oh, I love it. That is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Everybody do that. National Licorice Week. And on that very week, we have a Red Vine expert, the Red Vine expert, Howard Peck. So glad you shared that. All right, Howard, earlier this season, you had this great piece on LeBron and the fact that he said, quote, I'm in win mode still. The Cavaliers from earlier this season had a very different roster than the one they have right now. So, bottom line, what do you make of the current edition of the Cavs, and what have you seen from them lately? Well, I think they're now 4-2 and two with the new guys in the lineup. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of, you know, patsies in that run, like Memphis. But, uh, you know, overall, they're more energized. LeBron himself is clearly more energized. And, look, they're clearly younger, and they're, they're deeper and more flexible. It's a better lineup than what they had. Um, you know, that, that's not a stretch. That's not, you know, a, a, a uniquely hot take there. The question to me is not, are they better off than they were before the trade deadline? They are. Are they good enough? Um, you know, in the Eastern Conference with Boston kind of having come back to earth and Toronto, everybody kind of always asterisking everything they do, wondering if it will hold up in the postseason. I think everybody around the league still feels like the Cavs are going to make the finals. But are they in any better position to beat the Warriors or, let's say, alternative, you know, alternatively the Rockets? Are they in any better position to win against those teams than they were last year when they had Kyrie Irving? I would say no. I don't think it's even close. I mean, it, you, you can't take this – is, this is the classic four quarters don't make a dollar, right? Like, you can't take Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, uh, Larry Nance Jr., and George Hill and say that you're better off with those four than with Kyrie Irving, a top whatever, top 10, top 12 player. Um, so, you know, that said, they're in better shape, and they'll go into the playoffs probably stronger than they would have otherwise, certainly better off than they would have been with a depressed LeBron James in the lineup. But uh, I do think that there's still a ceiling on this team, and I do think they're more vulnerable than they have been any time since he went back to Cleveland. Howard Beck, my guest, agreed. They're better than they were earlier this season, but not as good as they were last year. And last year, they were not good enough. And then you look ahead to the offseason. Let me move on, Howard, to the L.A. Lakers, because the Laker fans would obviously love for LeBron to be thinking about L.A. Now, you had team CEO and controlling owner Jeannie Buss on your podcast earlier this week. When you look at the Lakers, where are they right now as an organization in the post-Kobe era? Well, it's really interesting, Jim, because I feel like their overall uh, vision has not changed. You know, under Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss, who Jeannie fired a year ago, they were trying to play the same Laker uh, cards that they always have. Hey, we're the Lakers. We're in L.A. We're a historic franchise. We we have this, this wonderful history and aura. Come play for us, superstars of the NBA. And it didn't work for a few years for a number of reasons. I think most of that was, frankly, just bad timing. Those were stars who were not ready to go anywhere for the most part, and, and not to them at that time. And Kobe was still 
taking up a lot of oxygen. Kobe's gone now, and they do have, thanks to the, the drafts of the last few years, a decent collection of young talent. So I, I think they're in a much better position to, to make that pitch to stars than they were the last few off-seasons. But the plan is basically still the same. And, you know, never mind the, you know, the report that had gone out about, oh, they're going to punt until 2019 and they're giving up on 2018. That move at the trade deadline to clear out the cap room by offloading Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. was clearly about, no, we're in it now. We're in it in 2018. Now, I, who knows if LeBron James, Paul George, or anybody else are going to go and take their cap room. That remains to be seen. But the Lakers have put themselves in a good position by having both the cap room and good, interesting young talent with Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Cal Kuzma, that they're now at least uh, in the game. And, you know, I think they're on a healthy path. And, look, do not underestimate Magic Johnson. Uh, you know, I had Jeannie Buss on the, you know, this, this week, but I had a Jay Adande, my good friend, uh, longtime L.A. guy, you know, on a few weeks ago, and, and that was Jay's basic message, message, having known Magic as long as he has. The Magic is the ultimate uh, you know, closer and, you know, don't underestimate his ability to, uh, to get guys at least to consider the Lakers, you know, and, you know, potentially the guy who will then close the deal. Howard Beck joining us. Do you think he can close LeBron? What would magic have to tell LeBron to close LeBron? Uh, you know, I think the answer to that question, no matter who's selling him is who he's playing with. Like LeBron is, you know, he's 33. It's year 15. He's still dominant. He's still an MVP candidate, but, you know, the, the, you know, he's, this is late prime and he's already defied all odds in history in terms of being this great, this deep into his career. So he needs somebody else with him. And I don't think that can be just the young guys. I don't think LeBron is ready to just slide into mentor role and not contend. I think that that would be a stretch. Um, by the way, it's a theory that some people buy into, but I think it's a stretch. So I think what magic's message would have to be is Paul George is coming too, or the equivalent of Paul George. Uh, but honestly, Jim, because that's the, because the, the real way the, the league works these days is that these guys arrange it all with each other. I think if LeBron and or Paul George are going, it's going to be because they're in contact with each other and have already decided that they want to do this together. Um, so that's, that's the key. You know, I just can't see LeBron going there just to play with the youngsters. There's got to be some other high-level veteran talent. Uh, on boards that he can contend right away. So, Howard, the thing about Paul George, it's so interesting because we're trying to get a sense. Like, LeBron is a nearly impossible guy to read. Paul George, you know, until recently, would say exactly what's on his mind. Like, I would love to go back to L.A. I grew up being a Laker fan. I would love to be there if Magic's there. A little bit easier guy to read, but maybe not so much right now. Like, where do you think his head is at? Do you think that he needs LeBron to go to L.A. for him to go to L.A.? Would he go back to L.A.? Or does he like life in OKC? I mean, look, he's playing with Russell Westbrook and, you know, you know certainly a, a, a lesser version than we're used to of Carmelo Anthony, but they've got a solid group there. I, I want to see how far that group goes. If we're going to start mind-reading Paul George, I, I think we go back to where he was a year ago at this time or last spring, where it was very clear to him that he did not want to be in Indianapolis anymore, and he made it clear, and everybody around the league knew, and then he finally made it official and got traded. But it's not like he has to be traded to Oklahoma. <laughs> He wants to be in L.A., and the only thing he was telling the Pacers was, if you don't trade me now, I am walking away in 2018. So there's no reason to think that his desire to play in L.A. has changed. The only thing to weigh against that is, does he like playing with Westbrook and that crew enough to offset whatever he feels about Oklahoma? It's not the first place that most stars want to go, certainly stars from you know Southern California who, who thought about going home. And, and, and so you've got to have other things to offset it. And, and I think primary among those is the chance to contend. So let's see how the Thunder do. If they're a first round out, do I think that that heavily, heavily factors into Paul George's decision? It has to. Uh, just as I think that how far the Cavaliers go and how LeBron feels about that group when his season ends will factor heavily into his decision. And then, Howard, a final thought about the Lakers and the young nucleus they have. When you look at that roster that they have right now, and you see the way that, for instance, Brandon Ingram is developing, the way that Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball have played as rookies, do you feel like this is the start of a special run, or is the jury still out on that? Jury's definitely still out, Jim. I mean, for most players in the NBA, uh, especially you know, look, look at the group of, of all-stars of the last you know, several years, um, or, or guys, you know, like John Wall's a great example. You know, it took him, I think, his fourth year before he was an all-star, um, or maybe his year three was an all-star, fourth year was the playoffs. It just takes time. 
for youth to blossom in this league. And these guys are constantly developing and, you know, that's what you hope for. You hope at a minimum they come with a certain level of talent and that they're going to keep getting better, adding things to their game. Uh, Lonzo Ball clearly has a lot to learn still. And Brandon Ingram, it's year two, and people are, you know, at, at certain times have thought, you know what, just doesn't look like it's there. And in the last few weeks, it's, it's like, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Now we're seeing it. So you just you can't rush to judgment on these guys, uh, whether they're in year one or year two, even sometimes year three. It takes guys – a while for their bodies to fill out, for them to mature as people, as players. There's there's some really good elements there at L.A. Is, is, is that the, the core, without adding somebody else, without adding LeBron or Paul George, is that the core of, of a, a future contender? I, I don't think we know yet. That's it for now. A tremendous Wednesday. Thank you for your amazing response to that hype track and for the feedback. All the feedback on Ep26 of the Jim Rome Podcast with the Brothers Sklar. Check that out if you haven't already. And I will be right back here tomorrow. See you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, A unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.